You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Understand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we're back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. But this week we had to call a little audible. Due to some unexpected travel, Ted and I were unable to record this week, but we are still committed to bringing everyone some exciting content. Those of you that follow us on YouTube know that every single Monday we release a YouTube exclusive video, which is a story you will not hear on the podcast. Well, today we've compiled a group of those videos to make a full episode and to show those of you who aren't subscribed there what you're missing out on. We'll return next week with another fun edition of Ask Ted Anything, but in the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy some stories, thoughts, and anecdotes from one of the most legendary voices in wrestling history, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Fast forward, he actually, uh, you know, he actually went, came on board with Vince. Mm-hmm. As you know, I guess as a pro, pro, uh, pro, uh, I don't know producer, and I, I don't know what else if, what else he was doing. If he was, you know, maybe trying to help book or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I know that uh, for him, it didn't last long. You know, it's kind of like uh, you know, it's like it's kind of like when you're used to being the boss mm-hmm. and telling everybody what to do. It's hard to be. Uh, just one of the uh, uh, co-workers. <laughs> the way I've heard it was that he came in to help. Uh, essentially, he was going to oversee operations so Vince could focus on more of the business end of things. And uh, so he started to come up with creative and, and help out there. But it wasn't long before Vince took out the eraser and started erasing a lot of his stuff well, and taking over. Basically, I think he told Bill, he said, you know, uh, I think he says, Bill, I know I could, I could give you my company and, uh, and you would do a hell of a job. It was almost like, almost like admitting that his ego wouldn't allow him to do it. Mm-hmm. He says, but I just can't do that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like giving your company to somebody else and they get credit for what you're doing. Right. You know, and, 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 and basically Vince said, I, I can't do that. So Bill said, sayonara. <laughs> and it essentially spelled the end to Bill in professional yeah. wrestling. When I was a kid, this was now when I was living with my grandmother. And I, you know, I lived with my grandmother uh, from, from two to five. And then um, I came, we came back and I, I can't remember why I was there. Again, I, well, I know my dad was my dad, Mike DiBiase. He and another guy were going to try to promote Arizona, kind of like make a territory out of it. Oh. And so I was I was back in Wilcox again. You know, this is like uh, you know third grade, uh, I think sixth grade, uh, part part of that or fifth anyway. Uh, but uh, so I won. And of course, this is a little town, Wilcox. Ford punt. I won the Ford punt, pass, and kick contest 
in in my age group. All right. And so the first place prize was like a it looked like a letterman's jacket. You know, like you know, when guys in sports they get their jacket, you know, with the big letter on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I got my jacket and it was Dallas Cowboys right there. That's when it started. That's when I became a cowboy fan and it never left me. And then I met uh I, I know you know who he is, George yeah. South. Do you know who he is? Yes, sir. Enhancement talent for many years. Yeah, and and that and he's he, he's got his own wrestling school. And he 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 teaches guys, and he, he gets he gets them to know the, the the basics. So George would haul his ring. He lives in he lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. He would haul his ring everywhere to do these shows with me. Mm-hmm. And of course, I, I made sure he got taken care of as well. You know him and and, and his crew. Uh, and I, I know, and of course, and he didn't have to pay his guys much because they were they were just young guys learning the business. And so, anyway, one of the trips was out to a, some suburb of Dallas. <laughs> and so we, you know, we, we uh, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving. Uh, you know, George says, man, I just, I just got to go by Cowboy Stadium because he, I mean, his whole house looks like the Dallas Cowboys. And I just got to go by there. And so we, we, we go, you know, we drive up to the parking lot, you know, Cowboy Stadium and everything. And of course it's all, it's all locked down. There are, you know, the only two cars in the parking lot are mine and his. <laughs> and, and, and then one of the, the uh, a caretaker, you know, he, he comes up to the fence from the other side, you know, and uh, yeah. And then we just reassured him, you know, and I, I, I told him, I said, sir, I said, you know, uh, we're not here to, we're not vandals or anything else. I said, I told him who I was and I said, and this guy right here, you know, if there was ever a Dallas Cowboy fan, th- this this is the guy. He could be the mascot for the team. <laughs> I mean, he you know just loves the Dallas Cowboys, and I, and I said I do too, but not quite like George. And so he said, well, you know, you know, I wonder why I stayed late tonight, and I, now I know I'm supposed to let you go. So he opens up the gate and lets us in. Wow. And he takes us on a personal tour of Cowboy Stadium. I mean, and, and uh, let us, I mean, I got a picture of George standing right on the star in the middle of the field. Unbelievable. And, uh, and I, I think he actually, uh, he gave him a seat, you know, like the most, most, most of those seats are like anchored, you know, what, you know, you can't move them. They're, 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 they're permanent seats. And right. I, I don't know how, how he did it or, or if there, if there was just one available, but he says, here's, here's a little memento. Take a little bit of Cowboy Stadium with you. And he gave George the seat. That's Holy funny. Smokes. So he's got a seat, a seat from Cowboy Stadium. So what year would that have been? Do you recall? Oh gosh. Now I could probably call George and find out, but you know, uh, we might be able to use that material. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> George might be a fun guest here on the podcast. Oh, yeah, he might be. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll have to bring him on at some point. That sounds okay. like a blast. Tully and I go all the way back to West Texas State. Uh, Tully Blanchard was the quarterback uh, for the West Texas State Buffaloes while I was there. How about I that? Mean, 
a matter of fact, the first time I ever met Tully was when when he when he came on board. You know, I, I think he had tried to go somewhere else and it didn't work out. Uh, and and so um, they, you know, I don't know how I got. But I think Terry Funk obviously helped because you know he you know Tully's dad was a, was a booker in you know out of San Antonio. So uh, that's how T- Tully ended up at West Texas State. So. Again, you know, here's two guys that both have uh, fathers who were in the business, and, and one, you know, Tully's dad was still, you know, booking San Antonio. So, and and Tully, Tully's a smart guy, you know, and he was good, you know, uh, a good quarterback, you know. But uh, it's kind of like uh, I used, to, I was doing an interview because I was going to wrestling when I was back there in Mid, not in Mid South in the Amber, working the Amarillo territory. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody knew. I mean, you know, Teddy Biasi and Tully Blanchard played football together at the same time at West Texas State. And I said, "Yeah, you know, uh, cutting the interview that I'm going to wrestle him, right?" I said, "Yeah, you know, uh, Tully was a pretty good quarterback. I mean, uh, uh, but you know, he also had the record of, uh, you know, throwing the most interceptions." <laughs> And it's just like, uh, you know, and, 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 it, and it got him so bad that, that he actually tried to commit suicide, but somebody intercepted the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, but no, he that was is great. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, you were an offensive lineman at the time, right? Yeah, I was, I was recruited as a defensive lineman. And, uh, and, and I knew from the get go. You know, I knew from the get-go that I would, I, you know, college is where my football career would ended because I am, I'm like, you might as call me tortoise the turtle because I am not fast. <laughs> you know, the thing about being a lineman is it's it's quick off the ball and it's that first explosion and then you got two guys that are battling. But uh, anyway, yeah, um, you know, um, they recruited me as a, as a defensive tackle. But because of my lack of speed, <laughs> they said, I remember the coach looked at me one day and he said, DiBiase, he said, I wish all our players had your tenacity, but son, we're going to have to start timing you with a sundial. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, well, no NFL, that's for sure. And so they, uh, they said, we're going to move you to offense and make you an offensive tackle. And that will give you the benefit of the snap count and an assignment, you know, because deep on defense, you're reacting. So, and you have to react fast. So what they were trying to do is give me whatever advantage they could. You know, I I I wasn't real happy about it, but I wanted to play. So I was an offensive tackle. Well, you know, rumor has it that Tully could be uh, difficult to get along with at times. So did you ever let uh, a defensive guy slip past you? Go, go ahead and uh, light him up, <laughs> teach him a lesson. Uh, I, would, I would not admit that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that as a uh, yes. And, 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 and that was true, too. I mean, you know, some <laughs> of the guys, uh, you know, like, you know, I went and I introduced him to, you know, all these guys on the football team and. Yeah, Tully back. Tully's a different guy now. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's a much different person now. You know, yeah, he was he was pretty much all full of himself back then. 
Yep. Uh, Arn has said before on his podcast, Arn, that uh, he was like, you know, most of us were playing heels. He was like, it was a, it was a shoot with Tully. That guy was a heel. <laughs> Arn has a good way of saying everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I know that, uh, you know, you had said that your struggle, uh, primary struggle back in the day was fidelity, uh, maintaining your, your yeah. fidelity uh, in your marriage. Um, but a lot of guys struggled with somas and certainly with drinking, certainly with with other drugs. Um, yeah. Did you ever abuse substances of any kind or was it? You only- know, no, I, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, that's never been. You know, it's, it's funny. It's never been an issue. You know, my uh, uh, my biological dad, Ted Wills, you know, um, I, I guess he would he, he would be considered like a. You know, it, it kind of like a casual alcoholic. It was like, I, I, you know, I never saw him, you know, stumble, fall, get sick or anything like that. But he drank every day. Uh, I remember when I would go out to visit him in L.A., you know, now, now he's not a singer anymore. He was a light tech and he, he, he did a lot of, you know, he, he did a lot of lighting for sh- old shows like the dating game, the newlywed game, American bandstand, general hospital, things like that. And, but every time he'd get off of work, he, he'd go to this pub, uh, a place where he could have a drink and get something to eat. And I mean, I, I, I would do it with him, you know, and I, I would sit down and, they would just bring him his drink because everybody knew what he what he drank. Now he didn't just he never sat there and got drunk, but he drank every day. Mm. So I mean, I guess you would like I don't you know, I don't know what you would call a casual alcoholic, but uh, and yet then my mother now my mother my mother uh, was definitely she you know when she married Mike DiBiase. Um, I was five years old and um, they were married 10 years until Mike had a heart attack and died. And I remember towards the end of, you know, like in the last couple of years of his life, like, and I, I had started, I'd gone to, I was in high school and we're in Omaha and my dad would come home and he would, he would ask me, he says, have you seen your mom drinking anything? Mm-hmm. So he was, I could, you know, that was like, you know, my radar went up, you know, it's like, you know, he's worried about her. And uh, anyway, long story short, my mother ended up dying at the age of 56 from uh, emphysema brought on by smoking and alcoholism. Wow. And and when my mother was young, she was uh, beautiful woman when she died at the age of 56 i mean she she i'm gonna tell you what that stuff age you buddy that's smoking and drinking uh you know and so you know i i never um uh, you know i you know i party with the guys when i was in college and stuff you, you know have i ever been drunk yeah on several occasions but you know it was i, I didn't have to have it I could take it or I, I, I could leave it, you know, and I never, you know, um, I didn't like pot because all pot did was make me. <laughs> I knew guys who would smoke pot and it was like, it lit them up. It was almost like taking speed. 
you know, and, and, and there's another thing like uh, speed or uh, what would what they call them back then? Uh, all um, the truck drivers. Uh, Benny's. Benny's. You know, now I did that, you know, but I, you know, again, I didn't do it every day. It's like, you know, if, if, if I knew where I, you know, if I knew, okay, you know, we're, we've got this schedule and like back when I was working for Watts and, uh, you know, okay, you're going to, you're going to drive all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, wrestle, and then you're going to, you're going to drive all the way back to Shreveport. Well, it's 350 miles each way. Yeah. You need something. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, on, on days like that, I would do that, but, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I, I never abused anything like that, you know. Man, incredible, especially with the lifestyle that was out there on the road. Back when Sean and Marty Gennetti were, were a team, you know, there's two guys who weren't good for each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's like to separate them, you know, and, and, and again, you know, when, when, when they did go their different ways, I guess the cream rose to the top, buddy. Yep. Sean took off and flew, buddy. I mean, I have so much respect for Sean's ability. Uh, you know, it's uh, diverting here a little bit, but I think that this is worth asking you. Um, you know, Jake has gone on record as saying, like, yep, both really great performers, Sean and Marty. Uh, but Jake felt that Marty was a better wrestler. Uh, he just didn't quite get the, the the right creative or the right opportunities, maybe kind of screwed himself with some of his antics. Well, and again, I would say that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Jake, but I mean, I think Marty screwed himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, you know, doing stupid stuff. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, you, you know, um, like when Vince made me the million dollar man and you know, he said, you know, he, he gives me $2,000 in cash. And he says, this is your, your, uh, you know, this is your slush fund. You know, uh, when, and I, I've already talked about the things that he, you know, wanted me to do publicly, Yep. you know, you know, pick up everybody's tab and whatever, you know, but you got to pick your spots and do it, you know, and then, he says, bring me the receipts and we will replenish the money. And he wrote all that off as marketing. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and so, you know. So he, he gave you the opportunity to, to fail there as well, though. When you're handing uh, a professional yeah. wrestler all that money, it's like a guy like Marty Gennetti may have taken that money and said, like, hey, I could really have some fun with this. Yeah. Yeah. But you were responsible with it. Yes. <laughs> now, Smart enough to be, yeah. <laughs> now, you agreed with Jake that Marty kind of screwed himself. Do you also agree yeah. with Jake that he's a better in-ring performer than Shawn Michaels? Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I would, uh, you know, I've, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of a toss-up, personally. I agree. I, th I think it's hard to quantify, like yeah. say definitively one way or the other, because um, they're both incredible. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it's it, interesting to think of of Mario Gennetti with with some of Sean's creative and how the roles could have been reversed if things had gone differently. Okay, guys, let's take a quick break to talk about taking care of some serious business, and I'm talking about taking care of business 
in the bedroom. And if you're trying to take care of business, you need to try Blue Chew. Guys, let's just take a minute to talk about sex. You remember back in the day when you were always ready to go? Well, with a little help from Blue Chew, you can get that thing so hard you can take it hunting. It's going to help increase your performance and regain that old confidence in bed. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready when the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And you want to know the best part? It's all done online. No awkward visits to the doctor's office, no weird conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But of course, there will be nothing discreet about your package. Look, guys, I ordinarily like to try things before I make any kind of a commitment, you know, because you want to find out, is this actually going to work? Will it work for me? Well, that's that's got to be the best part of this whole thing. With our deal, you can try it for a month for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. This whole time, you and your partner may have been having the best sex of your whole life and been missing out on it without even knowing. So why not just give Blue Chew a shot? Just find out. You know, when you can get it for a month for free with only $5 shipping, it's silly not to just give it a try. Women are attracted to confidence and Blue Chew can help to give you confidence where it counts the very most. Don't wait any longer. Let's chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Ric Flair recently signed a long-term contract with AEW. Now, Rick is 74 years old. And rumor has it that he's made it clear he does not intend to wrestle while he's there. However, he's also kind of made it clear that he wouldn't necessarily turn down wrestling. So, uh, Ted, just want to get your thoughts on Rick and his new gig at 74 years old. You know, uh, gosh, I, I mean, I love Rick. I mean, Rick, without a doubt, um, you know, is one of, the, one of the greatest that we've ever had. I mean, um, I mean, he could do. He, he could do anything in the ring, and he, and uh, but he's also, <laughs> you know, and I and I, 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 you know, I've said this before, but I want to say it as as if 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 Rick could hear me saying it, mm-hmm. I, I would say it lovingly. He's like the little boy who doesn't want to grow up. He just wants. To, he never wants it to end. And I, you know, I get I get that too. I understand. Um, um, but, uh, man, it's like, you know, it's a, your, your body's only, only going to last so long. And, 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 uh, I guess, and I guess again, he's, he is saying, you, you know, you just told me that he is saying that he is not going to wrestle. Correct. Does not intend to wrestle. However, he would not necessarily turn it down. Yeah. Well, uh, you know. I would, you know, and again, I, you know, he's, I mean, I, God bless him. I mean, for even, you know, uh, having the heart to continue in any, any way. I mean, it's like, um, you know, I was 40, <laughs> that's 
30 years ago <laughs> when I physically stopped. I was right at 40, 90, yeah, in 93, early 94, and I was born in 54, you know. And uh, so 30 years later, I'm still here by the grace of God. And, you know, for the most part, you know, you know, I, I have, you know, I have, I've had both my knees replaced. And so I don't have any trouble walking and, you know, I have my, my lower back and, you know, I have, I'm having those, those kind of issues, but nothing's crept into my hands where I can't grip anything anymore and things like that. So, um, I think, uh, by and large, you know, yeah, for a guy that did wrestle for 20 years, I'm in pretty good shape. Well, I mean, you're saying you're still in pretty good shape. Not too many bumps and bruises. Sounds like you're ready to make a comeback yourself. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, teasing. Uh, I know better. Um, and yeah, I mean, God bless maybe, you. Maybe Rick needs a manager. <laughs> he would be better than a million dollar man. <laughs> So, uh, hey, let's let's not rule it out, folks. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on that because it's like, man, that's pretty unprecedented stuff. You know, yeah. it's, you, we weren't seeing like Lou Thez come out of retirement and work in, in the WWF back in whatever the 80s or 90s. Yeah. But we've got yeah. Ric Flair out here uh, still doing his thing. It's I mean, you know, hats off to the guy. It's you awesome. Know, I, I, again, I, I really sincerely uh, hats off to you. You know, brother, if you can keep it, if you can keep going and. You know, uh, and and he keeps himself in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean he he's in the gym on a regular. I mean, you know, he's he's in the gym more regularly than I am. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, um, my wife and I were just having this discussion. You know, because uh, you, you you get into a pattern of doing things, and, and you know, it's kind of like miss one. Okay, miss two. Okay, miss three. You're, you know, you, you stop going. And I had been doing very well with walking. My heart doctor said, he told me this. He says, he said, Ted, you know what the one thing is that all of my old patients have in common? And he emphasized old. And I said, what's that? And he says, they all walk. In other words, keep moving. They all uh, they all go out and walk. You you know you know you get older. You know you don't have to go out and run a marathon. You don't have to run, but just keep moving. Terry said this, and and Terry, you know, he exhibited that through his work. He said, Teddy, this is what you need to have in your hand every time you climb that ring. Say this. These people may may think the last three or four matches were a show, but you want to make them believe that what they see you do is real. Mm. And I tried to live up to that, and it was you know, and I and I I've heard that you know it's kind of like you know those first you know three or four matches were were uh, you know. Uh, you know, they, they weren't real, but it's kind of like, you know, and this is, now this is, I'm, I'm over, I seriously overheard this conversation. And cause of course I was, I was, you know, this is when I'm like in college and nobody really knows who I am. Um, 
but I can't remember who Terry had wrestled. And he said, but man, that last match, those, those guys were going for it, man. That was, that was real. I mean, they were, you know, and, and, and once again, that was an attitude that I that carried over into my career and that, um, I was going to, you know, if, whatever I could do, you know, it's kind of like, um, we did an angle. Uh, they did an angle with me in, in, in Georgia. Uh, and, uh, when I first went to Georgia, they, uh, the, I can't remember the, uh, the promoter, um, was a guy named Jim Barnett, but he, you know, he would hire a booker and, and, and Ole Anderson had been the booker and Ole, you know, as I got there, he, he had just quit. And then they brought in another guy who was, um, just terrible. Um, you know, I can't, I'm not going to say who, who that guy was, but, uh, but then they brought uh, Buck Robley. And Buck, you know, Buck's a wild guy and had a, had a wild gimmick, but, you know, he really knew wrestling. And and so they shot this angle with me where uh, I, I take this, this bump over the top rope to the floor. And uh, after like, a, you know, like having so many pile drivers and um, we did a deal where I, uh, I, I took blood, you know, out of, <laughs> I, took, I took my own blood and put it in like in a, uh, in like a, in like a, like a balloon mm-hmm. and tied it off. And, and I carried it in my mouth during the match. <laughs> and, uh, and then when this all went down, I just chewed on it until it broke. So there's, there's blood coming out of my mouth. Wow! And so they uh, they they put me. The ambulance comes, puts me on a stretcher. They take me. I can't remember which hospital in Atlanta, but they take me to an Atlanta hospital, and I stayed in that hospital for four days, Marcus. And there wasn't a thing wrong with me. <laughs> four days. It's kind of like uh, you know they like uh, they they kept X-raying me and whatever you know and like they. They just kept saying, we, we, we can't understand where that blood coming out of your mouth was from. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, make it real. And I tried to make it real all the time. You followed Terry's advice. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Ted, how do you get blood into a balloon? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I guess you have to kind of draw it out of your, your, your arm somewhere. Uh, and then you would have to uh, have somebody help you hold the balloon mouth. Yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah. So you don't, uh, yeah. So you don't, you know, puncture the balloon. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, wow. one of the tricks of the trade, man. Dark Side of the Ring recently did an episode about Bash at the Beach 2000, where, and I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of what happened there. In a nutshell, Hulk Hogan was supposed to put over Jeff Jarrett for the uh, the World Heavyweight Championship. Hogan didn't want to go out there and do it, and he had creative control. So Vince Russo wound up having Jeff Jarrett go out to the ring, and this is this is a shoot. He had him just go out to the ring and lay down without telling Hogan. So Jeff just climbs in the ring, lays down, and Hogan puts his foot on him and uh, and pins him. And Hogan was furious about it, of course, because he was expecting a match. Um, and so, you know, it's met a lot of criticism online, like, oh, well, Hogan should have just done business. And, you know, this creative control thing is ridiculous. 
But I don't know. In Hogan's instance, I, I think it's it's a little bit more understandable. It's a little bit less black and white. There's a lot of gray area there. We're not just talking about thousands of dollars. We're not just talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking about millions of dollars tied up into Hulk Hogan and his persona. So when you're dealing with that kind of money and that kind of yeah. a situation, like you probably are going to yeah. be very, very protective of yourself and when you lose and how you lose, right? Right. I, would, I agree totally. I mean, you know, I like Jeff, but you know what? Uh, you know, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, Hogan was, I mean, oh my gosh, Hogan was Hogan when, when, you know, when, when the WWF exploded, I mean, he was the guy and he was, you know, and why, you know, I, I just, you know, if Hogan's gonna, if Hogan's gonna put somebody over, in my opinion, it's gotta be somebody a lot with a lot more drawing power than Jeff Jarrett. I can't remember, uh, you know, Jeff's uh, stature at the time, you know, like, like, like uh, whether he was a real big deal or not. He was a main eventer at the time, for sure. Uh, I, I, I think that he had already won the world championship by this time himself in WCW. So, you know, I, I the concept for the match was, in a nutshell, okay. something like well, okay. that. That, again, you add that, he'd already been world champion. Mm -hmm. You know, and now, now he's, he's going to try to go back and get it again. Right, right. So, okay. well, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, then you've got an argument, you know, like, okay, you know, so who at the bottom, but the, here's the bottom line. Who's going to draw you more money? Mm -hmm. Who is going to take that belt and, and, and have the persona, if you will, that's big enough to, to carry, to carry the load, you know, and if, you know, I, you know, Hogan Hogan had that name equity. Yeah, he did. So yeah, just interesting. And, and again, I mean, I mean, even Hulk will tell you, Hulk's not a great wrestler, and he's not a great ring technician. You know, he had this unbelievable gimmick. He had the look. He was good on the microphone, and and uh, you know, he 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 wrestled a big a big man's style of match, kind of like Andre. That's exactly it. And I, I'm, you know, I, I kept meaning to bring that up to you because it was causing this big stir on the internet here a few weeks ago whenever this Dark Side of the Ring episode came up. And I was like, I wonder how Ted feels about this creative control situation with Hogan and, you know, the idea of, of refusing to put somebody over uh, despite it being what's booked, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, and, you know, that whole, the whole creative control thing, I mean, that's that's the thing that, you know, I get, you know, you, you can see where somebody might want to do that, but it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like telling a producer, I'm going to only do what you want me to do as long as I agree with it. Mm -hmm. well, go, go tell a movie producer that, uh, you know, never work. No, you know, so that creative control thing was, you know, I don't know if it was a smart, <laughs> a smart move to make. It's, it's the it's the inmates running the asylum you know yeah, exactly it's kind of like you know you want me to do what no i don't want to do that you know figure out something else you know jeff's father i i work on jeff's podcast as well and his father had uh had had this quote i don't did you ever meet jerry jarrett no i don't jerry? i think i did i think i did 
Jerry had uh, had this perspective on wrestling. He said, as soon as you start guaranteeing money to these professional wrestlers, you're going to lose all the leverage that you have because now all of a sudden it's not incentive-based uh, where yeah. the, if you go out there and do what I say and do it well, you'll make more money. That, that stopped existing whenever guaranteed contracts came into play. Now you right. add something like creative control, and, man, you're talking about some very weird, sticky ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it takes all your, your power away. Yep. Yeah. All of a sudden, the boys have the right to say, "Yeah, I know that's what you want me to do, and you pay me, but I'm not doing it." And you right. have no recourse. Yeah. Somebody the fans are really, really getting behind now is L.A. Knight, a guy that you worked with quite yeah. a lot. He, man, he is he is a star on the rise. I don't think his star has ever been shining any brighter than it is right now. Ted, have you seen any of what's going on with him recently? I haven't, but I've I've, I've been hearing about it. But yeah, you know, you know, it's like. Uh, the he was the he was the heel and when i was down there at uh you know uh, the developmental center when he was doing that thing with uh, cameron grimes yes and uh yeah he, he was great yeah i mean at that point ted uh i mean you know it's projecting a little bit because it's uh, you know a couple of years before he even made the main roster but at that point did you see like okay i could see this guy like main event wrestlemania level well i don't know I don't know if I could have said that, but I I know that, you know, based on where he was, I mean, he's still in the still in the developmental program, hasn't really uh, hasn't really been out in front of crowd after crowd after crowd after crowd, but you know, but based on what I did see, yeah, I I, I, th I thought you know if there's ever a guy that's gonna have an opportunity to make it, he will. So, yeah, it seems he has. He certainly has. Now, I don't know either if he's going to end up being a WrestleMania main eventer or anything like that, but like the guy has captivated audiences. Uh, he's got his new catchphrase, which is pretty simple. It's just, yeah, uh, and it works. Fans have, fans have really gotten behind it. I think some people are calling it the yeah movement. Uh, so, hey, yeah. look, if you, if you can get people behind you. This is, is, is like, yeah. Right? Like, like so if, if somebody's saying something to him or if he's cutting a promo, he'll just go, yeah. And uh, yeah, fans have gotten behind it. Hey, uh, I, I can't remember who I was telling. I said, "Look, I said, you know, I did all these things in wrestling. You know, uh, you know, you know, you know, I'm, you know, 12, 12 years or more of uh, wrestling behind me. You know, like I started in '75 and I went to work for Vince in '87. So '75, mm '80, -hmm. you know, like I was 12 years into the business." And I had done all these things, and now I become this character, the Million Dollar Man. And after all the things we did as the Million Dollar Man, what do the people remember? You gotta be the laugh. <laughs> the laugh. They remember the laugh. The laugh is forever my trademark, I guess. And and uh, I guess I should be happy about it. And that's funny. Again, again, this is Vince McMahon, and the way that happened. I was, you know, we used to do all of our interviews like at TV for the, the, the towns that were immediately coming up, like for the next, you know, for the next three weeks. And so I was doing an interview with, with Gene Okerlund. And uh, I, at, at the end of it, I just happened to cock my head back and laugh like that. Mm -hmm. Vince was walking by and he heard it. 
and he stuck his head in the door and he goes, that's my million dollar man. And I want to hear that laugh at the end of every thing you ever do. <laughs> so isn't it I guess funny? again, once again, I have to thank Vince's ingenuity. So isn't it funny that, you know, to your point, you had all those years, like the loaded glove, uh, the pile drivers yeah. with the free birds, then you turn around and doing the pile drivers with Tommy rich and like all of this history and all the, all the people want to talk about is that laugh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's as long as it's gay. You know what? If it works, do it. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And look, it's probably going to be the same thing for L.A. Night. It'll be 20 years from now and people are going to be coming up to him going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a trailer. It's brand new for the Iron Claw, which tells the story about the Von Eric family. Uh, any chance you've seen that trailer yet? I haven't. Oh, man, it is it is definitely worth a look. Uh, but really, more than talking to you about the trailer, I wanted to talk to you about the Von Eric family. Did you ever spend much time around them? Uh, no, uh, you know, I, I really didn't. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Fritz Von Eric, you know, he uh, he promoted wrestling in in Dallas, basically, for, you know, the longest time. And um uh, it's it's one of those places I never went. I mean, I might have I might have wrestled there one time, and I can't you know, and, and I don't know what, what I can't remember why, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, I don't know. It's just kind of a I don't know. Now, when you say wrestled there one time, do you mean wrestled in his territory or wrestled in the sportatorium? No, in the sportatorium. One time. Yeah, maybe one time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I never I never wrestled I mean, I never wrestled what they I guess they would call it the Dallas territory. Mm -hmm. I mean, Texas is so big. I mean Amarillo were, you know, and I just came back from Amarillo again, you know, I uh <clears throat> was just there there for uh, a, a Comic Con. And uh got to see my son and everything. And, uh, you know, I, again, I, nostalgically, I, I, I drove around to a lot of places. I went and Venice, Venice visited, uh, Terry Funk's grave and his wife's and, uh, mm. anyway, West Texas state. That's where I went to college and, and West, West Texas state is just like 11 miles, um, west of Amarillo. I mean, south of Amarillo. Okay. So, um, anyway, um, Amarillo is, uh, is, is near and dear to my heart. I mean, I have so many memories of Amarillo. So, you know, it's funny because uh, when I saw that, that trailer for the Iron Claw and I was like, oh, the Von Erics, it's Texas. I bet Ted has a lot of experience around uh, the Von Erics. But realistically, Amarillo is like five and a half hour drive away from, from Dallas. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, just because you were in Amarillo doesn't necessarily mean that you worked for the. Uh, well, oh, yeah. And, and, and again, OK, so Amarillo, but part, the Amarillo territory consisted of Amarillo. OK, if you go. Amarillo, I mean, you, you still have to go somewhat south. Uh, we would wrestle in Amarillo. Okay, I mean, Sunday was Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's 300 miles west. Then you come back to Amarillo. Monday night was Abilene. Well, Abilene's, I mean, I wonder how far Abilene is from Dallas. But Abilene was on uh, 
Monday night. Tuesday night was Odessa. Wednesday night was um, San Angelo, which is, again, south of Odessa. And then Wednesday night, we would all drive back to Amarillo, and we would wrestle in Amarillo on Thursday night. Friday night was Lubbock. And then Saturday was the TV show. And the short, the short trip was Hereford, Texas, which is only 30 miles from Amarillo. Or the long trip would have been to either uh, uh, Pueblo, Colorado, or Colorado Springs. That's, so, a, that's quite a riding schedule. Oh, Abilene, yeah. I just oh, looked yeah. it up. Ab- Abilene's about three hours away by yeah. car uh, from Dallas. So I, that, that may have been the closest you got to their territory. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I never, and for whatever reason, I never, and I, I guess probably because of my relationship with the Funks, you know, I, I never saw a reason, uh, you know, to go to the Dallas territory. Right. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you what the Dallas territory consisted of, you know, well, you uh, know, what, what, the, what their towns were, you know. Jake and I recently talked about him working in WCCW in 1984. And uh, to say the least, he was not necessarily satisfied with his experience there, not just from a money standpoint, but also, you know, the Von Erich boys are working on top and they weren't necessarily responsible all the time. Uh, They certainly had some uh, substance abuse issues. And Jake was saying, like, you know, they'd promote a town with these guys and everybody's showing up in town to see the Von Erich boys and they just wouldn't show up. Yeah, um, and I mean, had you heard that kind of scuttlebutt about the Von Erics at all? Yeah, or were you just kind of in your own world over there? No, I, I, no, I've, I've heard, I've heard all that. Yeah, now, you know, not, not really a good name in the business. Now I know that you were, and and we're about to move on to the topic. I just find this fascinating with the movie coming out. I, I know that you were around Kerry Von Erich at least during his time in the WWF. I mean, uh, did you ever work with him? Um. Yeah, I did. I think I worked. I uh, worked with him one time, and then, and, and actually had a decent match, you know. Uh, but that's because I was calling it, mm-hmm. you know. So that is kind of what we hear about him. There's a famous story about him uh, showing up to wrestle Ric Flair. I, I think they were in Texas Stadium or something, um, and Kerry was under the influence to the point where he couldn't even lace his own boots. Somebody had to lace him and get him out to the ring, and they said that he had a fever during the match, which is why he was not quite himself. And you know, Ric Flair being Ric Flair, he you know he could work with a broomstick, and he was out there and, and got a good match out of him. So it's a shame because you know you look at the guy and you look at all the Von Eric boys. Yeah. Like, great look, great lineage. It's like man, if they could have held it together, I mean, sky's the limit. Everybody's got a part, everybody's